0: Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why Midway USA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com.
1: Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of Castingacross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. Today we're talking about tailwaters. And tailwaters have been on my mind because this is being recorded on the 1st of December. But if you found this episode in the middle of the summertime, don't let that recording date stop you. Because the thing about tailwaters is that uh, although they are an incredibly uh, attractive angling destination in the wintertime when other places might be frozen over, or incredibly difficult to access, they are also consistently good fisheries 12 months out of the year. And so for the very same reasons that they are so attractive to anglers and for trout in the middle of the winter, they are also attractive to anglers in the summertime. So this is a topic that has calendar-wide application and implications. And this is one of those topics, too, that we are only going to scratch the surface. I'm going to fly by a majority of the important topics that relates to tailwaters, and their fish, what they are, uh, how they are constructed, uh, what their environmental impacts are, and then why why they are worth fishing and how to fish them. I mean, we're only going to scratch the surface on those things, but I think it's it's important to to talk about this. One, because so many of our nation's most prominent fisheries are tailwaters, and uh, secondly, uh, it is something that is well, should be in your awareness, not just as an angler, but as somebody who is conservation minded. But the first thing that I think we need to establish is what is a tailwater? At its most basic definition, a tailwater is a downstream section of a waterway from a dam or an impoundment. So you have a lake which has been turned into a reservoir in some way, shape or form because of a dam. And then beneath that dam, there is a river or creek or a stream. Now, a true tailwater uh, isn't simply a a lake that has a spillway. A true tailwater is going to be a dam that has water that is coming through that structure, perhaps with even some sort of acceleration because it has culverts or it has turbines that are pulling that water through uh, to to generate electricity. Now there are countless different dam uh, construction techniques and architectural designs and things like that but the reason why this matters so much is because having that water not flow over the top, while there still are benefits for fisheries uh, and for trout in particular, if there is any sort of dam and water coming over which creates dissolved oxygen, which, at, which uh, you know increases the speed of the river downstream of the dam, those things are beneficial for fish in general and trout in particular. But when the water is coming through the dam, especially from the bottom of the, the, the dam, you're getting a few other things you are getting that increased flow rate, which is always beneficial because it is going to maintain the temperature and it is going to maintain that dissolved oxygen. The fact that that water is moving is going to create dissolved oxygen because it is being churned up. But then also you have a colder water, generally speaking, that is coming out of that dam. Now, In the summertime, that's incredibly important because now you have cold water where you would otherwise have warm water. So say you have a 50 foot deep lake, that water that is down at the bottom of that lake, even in a southern state, even in incredibly warm months of the year is going to be in that 55 to, to 65 degree temperature, just as a ballpark range. Now, the, that you can just imagine that as that is extrapolated out to hundreds and hundreds of foot-deep reservoirs like you have kind of in the Tennessee Valley region and all the uh, dams that the TVA has, has managed. But what you're going to get then is a cold, fast, dissolved oxygen-rich um, and actually, nutrient rich too, water that is being pushed through uh, the, these turbines and is going to be coming out into that tailwater. So, those are the precise conditions that trout desire to survive, and to thrive. Now there are drawbacks, but generally speaking, that is why these fisheries matter so much. That's why these fisheries are an important part of the angling landscape in our country and fly fishing culture. Because where you didn't have trout, or you had meager trout resources, now you have significant trout fishing resources. And you only have to look as far as some of the larger rivers out out west. Um, You think of a river like the San Juan River. You think of the Colorado River. You think of the Arkansas tailwaters, the the white and the little red. You think of up in the Catskills, you have the East Branch and the West Branch of the Delaware um, and and countless other rivers across the country that are impoundment-based tailwaters. In fact, my very first trout, the very first trout I caught, it was on a spinning rod and it was probably on power bait, but it was below the Little Red River's dam uh, in Arkansas. Uh, it was a small rainbow trout, and uh, but it was my very first trout I caught on a spinning rod and uh, it, it was a very, you know, profound thing in, the, fat, in the, the, the fact that I was introduced to this river and I came back only a few months later, fly rod in hand, uh, waited out there and was casting to, uh, to rainbows and to browns and to brook trout uh, with midges uh, in the Arkansas summertime. Now, as you can probably Ascertain, uh, trout aren't supposed to be in large rivers in Arkansas, particularly in the summertime. But that is the benefit of tailwaters. So, this is the condition that a, a tailwater provides for fishing. Now, there are certainly a, a couple of things that need to be you know talked about when it comes to fishing these 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 uh, water bodies. Uh, the first one is that the flow rates can be variable. Uh, If they are being managed for hydroelectricity, particularly these larger uh, rivers, uh, then there is going to be a variability of flow rate. So the way that you fish it on one day is not necessarily the way that you're going to fish it the next day. The way you fish it in the morning is not going to be the way that you fish it in the afternoon. So on the macro level, while there is significant consistency as to what fishing looks like in the tailwater from month to month, on a day-to-day level, there's going to be a lot of inconsistency. Now, there may be certain patterns and certain times of the year where the energy usage is something that the Army Corps of Engineers or whoever else is managing that dam is able to anticipate. Uh, They're going to have more flows in the morning, later flows in the afternoon. There's even been some tailwaters that I've fished where there is uh, significant uh, recreational uh, interests outside of fishing, so they will run them higher in the mornings or late mornings to accommodate uh, kayakers and canoeists as they are going over rapids, um, and it's just different uh, deals, for lack of a better term, agreements that the uh, those who manage the dams have worked out with uh, different conservation organizations, uh, departments of environmental protection, as well as other recreational interests, and you're never going to make everybody happy. But I have found that by and large, the opportunities that are presented to anglers uh, outweigh some of those drawbacks of those inconsistencies that you find on the micro level. But the consistency is really uh, the benefit, and what you're looking for, not only for the viability of these rivers as fisheries, but also for the angling opportunities. Uh, so, for example, if you have a low flow period where not a lot, or, a lot of water is being pushed through the dam, I, I've said pushed, I've said pulled, but really it is it is simply the uh, the the water seeking its own level and going through those turbines, and they will shut some off, and they will they'll turn some on, and so you'll have different different flows that is uh, that are going through these dams but what you will find say on a low flow period is that you are going to have incredible nymphing opportunities, not necessarily through the macroinvertebrates that you typically associate with fishing for trout, mayflies, stoneflies, caddisflies, but with crustaceans. Because you have that cool, consistent, nutrient-rich water coming through and establishing itself on that substrate of those rivers, then you're going to have those those aquatic crustaceans are going to be thriving in these ecosystems. The same is true for midge larva. You're going to have all sorts of tiny, tiny aquatic insects that are going to be consistently and heavily found in weed mats and aquatic growth that uh, the fish are going to be targeting. In fact, some of the largest fish that have been caught in some of these premier tailwaters have been on tiny, tiny little flies. Now, The inverse is true also, where on periods of high flows, you can consistently target fish using streamers because these fish are used to this. It's not like they shut down and turn off when there are periods of high flows because it might happen at a particular time of day or routinely over the course of a week or a month. Of course, every stream is going to be different. Uh, every, every river system is going to do different things, but generally speaking, you you can kind of have that, that two tiered approach where, you know, that your first impulse, uh, when the water is low is to nymph and your first impulse when the water is high is to throw streamers. And you might say, that's kind of how I fish, uh, everywhere all the time. Well, that's true. uh, But in a tailwater system, those are Probably going to be your most productive methods in those uh, times of of the year, because you know. Also, you have to remember that the water is going to be crystal clear uh, when the water is low, and the water is going to be off color uh, to a certain degree when the water is high, uh, just because that is the the nature of of those those streams. And so those. Tactics and those techniques are going to be not only what is the most productive because it's going to be putting the appropriate foodstuffs in front of those fish or the foodstuff uh, 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 imitation, but also is going to give you a, a better cover as you are approaching those fish. And again, a lot of these fish see a lot of people. Uh, all the time. So it's just because it's a giant river and just because there's lots of fish doesn't mean that they are necessarily easy to catch. Uh, But of course, these streams will also have dry fly activity. And this is more often the case, the further you get away from the uh, dam. So on a large tailwater, a large dam, you're going to run into situations where that there's not a whole lot of quality insect activity uh, in that immediate stretch downstream, because that is going to be subject to the greatest variability, as well as the most significant impact from those heavy flows coming out from the bottom of the dam. So there's going to be a lot of scouring, not a lot of sediment. So you don't want a ton of sediment. You don't want a ton of silt, but you also don't want none because then there's uh, no, no substrate for those insects to find their home in. Uh, that being said, I've caught lots of big fish rising to midges that are uh, emerging and that are buzzing around immediately downstream of dams. I mean in the in the shadow of some of these dams. Before I continue to talk about tailwaters, I do want to remind you that it is never too early to play holiday music. That's debatable, but I think you understand what I'm saying. And it's also never too early to start thinking about gifts. Whether it's for yourself, for a friend, for a significant other, you can make this season be jolly with Manscaped. Uh, There is a great opportunity right now for you to go to manscaped.com and use code CASTING, C-A-S-T-I-N-G, for free shipping and 20% off. Uh, Hopefully you have a grooming routine. Hopefully that is part of your life. Hopefully you are taking care of yourself and you're also for, for yourself, for your health, but also for your significant other and those who are your, in your immediate proximity. That is always important to do. Uh, Manscaped has put together what's called the Platinum Package 4.0. So uh, they have been around for only a handful of years, but they have certainly taken off. They, they have been a major player in online and podcast advertising. And the, the reason that they are at their 4.0 for their Platinum Package is because their stuff works. The platinum package has uh, everything from the performance package. So it's going to come with their uh, lawnmower shaver. uh, And it's also going to come with a premium body wash, premium two in one shampoo and conditioner and deodorant. Uh, And this stuff smells great. Uh, It doesn't just work. It also smells masculine. You're not going to smell like a bottle that has roses or lavender or flowers of some other kind on it. You're going to smell like pine trees and like earth and like you've been out fishing and out hunting and you're able to use the other things also to keep yourself in line however you see fit to do that with the lawnmower uh, 4.0 so uh, what you need to do is go to manscape.com and you will get 20% off and free shipping with the code casting 20% off with free shipping at manscape.com if they use the code casting c-a-s-t-i-n-g Now, when you go fishing in a tailwater, uh, you're able to anticipate, because of these two basic conditions, what you're going to run into. And that is going to be true in April. It's going to be true in September. It's going to be true in January. It's going to be true in July. Is there variability? Absolutely. And the more intimately familiar you are with any particular body of water, even a tailwater, you're going to be able to pick up on those differences that exist through the seasons and even within the season. But the interesting thing and the exciting thing about these fisheries is that you're even able to have that conversation uh, about those rivers. There are plenty of freestone rivers, naturally flowing rivers, uh, that you are, are going to have exceptional spring- Spring, summer and fall and then the winter is going to fall off or it's going to be a fall winter and spring uh, fishery and there's going to be incredible variability between even those three seasons that are productive on that river with a tailwater you are going to have 12 months of good fishing and probably great fishing at certain portions of that year and even within each of those months now are there drawbacks to tailwaters Absolutely, and the primary one is ecological, and this is something I think that we need to be aware of as anglers. One of the primary movements that has been happening over the last maybe twenty or forty years is the removal of dams, and the reason for that is is myriad, and and uh, one of them has to do with the fact that the uh, mechanisms utilized to harness the hydroelectricity uh, are outdated, and there are more effective ways of generating electricity. Uh, Secondly, uh, there are great ecological impacts. So you think that there is, you have to understand that at a a big picture, the uh, water system of whether it it, rain onto surface, surface into uh, streams, streams into lakes and lakes or, or, or rivers, and then out into the ocean, it moves sediment uh, from from the land into the ocean, and then it comes becomes sand and back again, right? Well, if you have an impoundment, all of that, uh, that that sediment is going to build up behind those dams, and it's going to create silt, and it's going to create mud, and it's going to create an environment that is not conducive to a lot of things thriving. And so there are problems on that end, so the upstream end of the dam. And so you have to have dredging, and you have to have um, other other things in place to keep those environments from really falling apart. And then on the downstream side you have a significant impact on what's happening beneath that dam. The one that is most obvious from a a just a eyeball perspective is that it creates an impassable barrier for Moving fish. Now, these might be fish that simply move from one spot to another within a river, or it could be a fish like a steelhead or a salmon, or even like an alewife or something like that, a sturgeon that is trying to get from the ocean up to its natal grounds to spawn. That dam is now a a prohibitive uh, location on that water body, and they are probably not able to spawn directly beneath that dam. Uh, not only because of the, f- the, the the increased flows that are there, but because it's even under ideal circumstances, they weren't going to spawn on that main branch of that river anyway because it is going to the water's going to be too fast and it's not going to have the right kind of substrate. And so that is a significant problem that if you've been paying any attention to what's been happening in environmental issues, particularly related to cold water resources, that's been such a significant talking point over the last few generations. But beyond that the creation of dam created uh, significant alterations to ecosystems. So uh, there's an interesting study that uh, it's all over the internet. But uh, at the Beaver Dam on the Ozark River down in Arkansas, uh, prior to the construction, there was 62 species of fish from 19 families of fish. And then after the construction of the dam, that almost went in uh, a third as far as species and in half from, from families. Um, and then afterwards and kind of getting up to present day time, there is a, a little bit of a rebound. There's about half the species, 28 species, and there are eight families. However, uh, the vast majority, nearly a hundred percent. and we're talking that night I've seen between 95 and 98% of the fish are trout or sculpin. Now, prior to the construction of that dam, were there trout and sculpin in that river? There was sculpin, but there was no trout. And so the vast majority, nearly all of the fish that had lived in that Ozark River and that stretch of water immediately, you know, for actually for miles beneath that tailwater had been extirpated. Now you might say, well, the trout fishing is fantastic. That's true, but we have to be consistent we have to be consistent with our with our ethic, with our ecology, with our environmentalism. Uh the smallmouth bass fishery, the the you know, the, the sculpins, the dace, the the chubs, the the red horses, the buffalo, whatever they were, and buffalo the fish, not the not the animal. Um, they have every right to be there. And we understand now that there's a great ecological importance to diversity, uh, and also to the native species. And so that is, is something that trout anglers usually who have to go on the defensive because trout are the ones that are being moved out of places by development and by pollution and by alterations to the landscape. Trout anglers have been the beneficiaries and trout, very, very big trout, world record trout have come from the creation of dams that have then impacted uh, the native fish that are in the area. So it's just something that we have to contend with. We have to understand, we have to realize that there are compromises that are being made anytime you run into one of these these tailwaters because it is a significant alteration to the landscape as well as to the rivers. So. Hopefully this gets you thinking and wanting to go check one out, wanting to go fish one. I mean, I've got a couple within uh, a stone's throw uh, of me. Some of them, the, the dams don't create a huge impact aside from adding a little bit of dissolved oxygen and increased flow. And so the fish will move in that direction and some others that are significant impoundments where there is a very viable fishery beneath it with very, very large trout. And I could go today. On December 1st, or I could go on July 1st, and I know I could find fish that would respond to a nymph, that would respond to a dry fly and respond to a streamer. There's not a lot of rivers and river systems and, and uh, waters in, in general where you're going to have those options, but you're going to be able to find that in a tailwater. And uh, I think you'd be surprised across the country where you're going to find tailwaters. So uh, check it out, Google it, and uh, and see what is close to you where you can fish, how you can fish, and uh, what you can learn about tailwaters and their history. This week on castingacross.com, two articles. The first one was called Angler's Coffee, Blending Beans and Fly Fishing. So I was able to speak with uh, Joe, the owner and proprietor of Angler's Coffee out in the Pacific Northwest, and we talked about coffee and fly fishing and how they work together. Now, uh, this coffee is not going to make you a better angler, uh, and this coffee certainly isn't only to be used on the stream. But you can understand if you check out my article and you you hear what Joe has to say uh, the the great crossover that exists between the passion for coffee and the passion for fly fishing and uh, it is good coffee uh, I, I I'll, I'll mention that here at the end of uh, uh, of the podcast it'll be part of my recommendation for for this week then Wednesday is called Giving Tuesday is Never Over. Giving Tuesday is Never Over. So I don't purport to be someone who uh, preaches on, you know, you have to be a charitable giver. You have to be a charitable giver. I think it's good. I think it's absolutely good. Uh, I certainly am not going to virtue signal, uh, nor am I going to shame anyone for not doing it. Um, But if you choose to give... Uh, and you want to utilize uh, a, a time of the year where it could be beneficial for your taxes, or when there may be initiatives like Giving Tuesday where your contributions may be multiplied, uh, then I have four great organizations that are not only uh, environmental cold water conservation, uh, and, uh, and, uh, sport fish conservation minded, but they are also about investing in young people and teaching them in the way that they should go when it comes to being conservationists as well as anglers. So check that article out. It's called giving Tuesday is never over Four great organizations that are worth your time. This week's recommendation on the podcast, as I alluded to earlier, is Angler's Coffee, but it's one particular product from Angler's Coffee. They have, it's called the Dry Dropper Blend, and it is a blend that they have put into, they're not tea bags. And as soon as you grab one, you'll know it's not a tea bag, but they are individually sealed in little foil pouches, recyclable foil pouches and they are a bag it's a steeping bag that you can drop into your coffee and it doesn't take long i mean if if you like your coffee you know kind of mild you're talking 25 25- 30 seconds. If you like a little stronger then in less than a minute, you still have a great cup of coffee. Uh, they come in boxes of 10. And the cool thing about this is that it will keep that coffee fresh for uh, months and months. I mean, I wouldn't say indefinitely. I I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that the English coffee would not say indefinitely. Uh, but for months and months, you can have these in your pack. And if you carry a little jet boil stove, then you can have a good quality cup of coffee anytime without having to grind beans or throw something into your pack. And, uh, and you kind of have a, have a, a mess and, and have to worry about that. Throw are a couple of these little dry dropper blend, uh, steeping pouches in your pack with your stove. And as long as you have a cup and you have access to water, which if you're fishing, you probably will, then you're going to be able to have good quality coffee. Assuming the water you're boiling is good, uh, but definitely cool little product. Um, and, and I, I, It's the best of this type of product that I've tried. I've seen a few more folks that do something like this, but uh, it's always been a weird blend. It has been old coffee. It has been a steeping pouch that has taken a long time. Uh, What English coffee has put together is a really good product. So I'll put a link to the dry dropper blend pouches on this podcast show notes over at castingacross.com. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe to your favorite podcast app and then rate your podcast on iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com for three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish.